Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What? I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, Anglo-Saxon Christianity, part two. I want to briefly explain what this episode is. To wrap up my broad overview of the main subjects and themes of Old English literature, I wanted to touch on religion and the beliefs which shaped the works of most Old English writers. To do this, I decided to offer two chapters from my PhD thesis, which focus on establishing the general shape of Anglo-Saxon theology. This is the second of those two chapters. My thesis was focused particularly on two manuscripts containing Old English homilies and poetry, the Blickling and the Vicelli books, and it was concerned with using these books to get a sense of what the Anglo-Saxon church was like in the mid to late 10th century, when, as we will eventually get to in the main series, Benedictine monastic reform reshaped the Anglo-Saxon church. If it's something you'd be interested in, I'm willing to present more of my thesis here, although I do have plans to adapt it into a book in the future, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy these two bonus episodes. Introduction. Quote, But what is it that is more needful for a man to think on than about the need of his soul? And when the day comes that he must be parted from his body, and which guides he will have, and where he will be led, be it to misery or be it to glory. End quote. Here the author of Blickling 8 alludes to anxieties surrounding the inevitability of death, which, in accordance with Christian doctrine, she or he believed would usher the soul into a new condition of either joy or torment based on what they had earned in life. The branch of theology dealing with death and what comes after, as well as with the end of the world, is called eschatology, meaning literally the study of final things. When the Blickling Eight homilist encourages the audience to prepare for death with good works and religious practices, she or he highlights how eschatological beliefs could, or at least were meant to, influence the behaviour of the faithful. Consequently, much as with soteriology, it is necessary to consider the eschatological beliefs of the Blickling and Vicelli authors and how these impacted people's lives. Since the books collect various pieces by many authors, they offer a cross-section of late 10th century eschatology that, while not allowing for much in-depth study of specific topics in the way that the large bodies of works by men like Bede and Alfrich do, nevertheless allow scholars to get a sense of the different beliefs that were circulating in late 10th century England. Chiefly, Blickling and Vicelli show that most authors shared similar beliefs concerning points of doctrine, such as the individual judgment, the resurrection of the dead, etc. 
These views highlight the extent to which Anglo-Saxon theologians of the late 10th century were indebted to the work of those who'd come before, especially prominent writers like Augustine and Gregory. Yet eschatology, more so than any of the other areas of theology, shows signs of fundamental theological differences between both the text of the Blickling and Vercelli books and other Anglo-Saxon writers. However, these are exceptions and therefore are not representative. The sense from comparing the eschatology of the Blickling and Vercelli books to that of other authors and sources is that most of the anonymous authors express beliefs that are broadly similar to those found elsewhere. Anglo-Saxon authors also did not speculate on eschatology in a vacuum. They inherited theological discussion of eschatological topics dating back ultimately to the early church. English writers in the late 10th century were heirs to biblical eschatological hopes as they had come to be understood in the patristic age. By the end of the patristic period in the 6th century, four elements of eschatological hope had become universally established within Christendom, and even authors who debated other aspects of eschatology accepted them as key elements of faith. The four elements in question are a linear view of history, belief in the resurrection of the body, belief in a universal judgment at the end of time, and belief in eternal reward for the righteous and punishment for the damned. Brian Daly, in his overview of eschatology in the patristic period, also includes belief in an individual judgment after death, and belief in the continued involvement of the dead in the life of the church as universal eschatological beliefs. But more recent work by scholars such as Matthew Del Santo and Marinus Vasselios has showed that, in fact, debate over these ideas continued in the Greek and Syriac churches past the end of the 6th century. In Anglo-Saxon England, however, these ideas were widely accepted. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.